really appreciate that beautiful special music that we have and our special music program that's been very important for all of us and just want to say thank you for those that participated in that from my behalf and on uh, for all the congregation. It is true Mr. League and I were talking uh, yesterday and some today about whether he would have any scriptures left over so that he would have a few to do. I said I would leave about a half of one for him, but um, this, this first scripture I would like to read today, if, if he'd like to read this four or five times, I would love to hear it because I just never get tired of hearing this. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. I still can remember the first time I heard this. I was a little kid. My mother used to come in to, at bedtime and read these read scriptures to us. And I remember her reading this and how I was struck by this scripture. I still remember it very well the first time I heard it because it resonates so much. Verse 36. Um, someone was asking him, this was a lawyer asking him this question, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, this is a, a parallel account of this over in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. Jesus, of course, wasn't making this up. He was quoting Moses, who was quoting him. He gave him this, uh, Moses, this scripture of these things, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, your might. Leviticus 19:18. Love thy neighbor as thyself. This comes from the Old Testament and from the law. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are, all of our being. And how to do that, of course, is a big subject. You can preach many sermons on that, I'm sure. And what comes first in our lives is an important subject in God's Word. Christ is the first fruits. He's the wave sheaf offering. We heard about that earlier. We, uh, he is the first of the first fruits. And then the church, of course, uh, um, comes after. Christ is the firstborn of many. We are the great first spring harvest that is pictured by Pentecost. We are first fruits in training. How about that? First fruits in training. Incorporating the qualities of first fruits in our lives, of course, is a very important thing for us to do. But is the Lord our God always first in our choices in life? Is the Lord our God always first in our choices? Do we really love him as he commanded us to do? Can we love God with all that we are and not put him first? Putting him first is a good first step to loving God with all that we are. God has sought in his instructions to us to build the character of first fruits, 
the character of firstfruits in us, which is essential to being able to obey this first and greatest commandment. This is an attribute of the actual character of God himself. So today let's look at this matter of building, building the character of firstfruits in us so that we may become God's firstfruits. Those who become God's firstfruits will have the character of firstfruits. That's the title of today's sermon, The Character of Firstfruits. Now, the first point today is the principle. It's the principle of firstfruits. God requires our firstfruits, and God gave us a lot of instructions to follow for the purpose of building the character of firstfruits in our lives. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is the account of Cain and Abel. Now, I'm often surprised that out in the world how many people just don't understand what happened here. Sometimes they say that the reason why God accepted Abel's offering is not not Cain's was just he liked it better. I like this better than I like that one, and that made Abel's brother angry. That's not what the Scripture says. Verse 1 Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain uh, was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Now does it mean as a glob of fat, it means the, the best part of it, the firstborn and the best part of his flock. Now, the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. What he's saying, that what he did was not accepted, and for a reason. Abel, of course, had given of his firstlings the best that he had, but there was something about Cain's offering that made it not being accepted. If you do not do well, he said, then sin lies at the door. And it certainly did for him because when his offering was not accepted and he did not um, repent of what he had done, then he sin came to him and he slew his brother. Leviticus 22, verses 17 through 25. Leviticus chapter 22, verses 17 through 25. God's offerings... What we give to our God is not a place where you dispose of second best. You say, well, I've got something over here I really don't need. I guess I'll give it to God. Sometimes maybe if you give something to the Salvation Army or to a charity or something, or something that's worn out or something that you've outgrown or something you don't need anymore, what shall I do with this? Oh, I think I'll give it to charity. I'll give it to the Salvation Army or something like that, and maybe they can use it. That's not the way it is when we give our offerings to God. Verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, Whatever 
whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers of Israel who offers his sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer your own freewill a male without blemish from the cattle and from the sheep and from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer. It shall not be acceptable on your behalf. So if it, oh, that, you know that, that lamb or that sheep out there that was injured, he's probably not going to make it through the summer. You know, let's go ahead and offer that one, you know, before he dies. Uh, well, that one that was sick, it looks pretty bad. Uh, we better get rid of him now. Let's, let's go ahead and let, let that one be our sacrifice. That is not what the way it should be. Verse 21, and whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or free will offering from the cattle of the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an altar or an eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or make any offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord, either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short. You may offer... Um, uh, as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. Nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as bread, the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. So he's going into a lot of detail here. You remember Abel, uh, Cain's offering was not accepted by God. So here he's saying, if you're going to make an offering to me, it has to be your best. It has to be of the fat, the good stuff you've got, not of the the lesser of what you obtain. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. These are the Passover instructions. These are the things that, that the people for the home sacrifice that would be given Verse 5, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Without blemish, once again, of the best of your flock that you have, because this symbolizes Jesus Christ. Christ, of course, is the Father's only begotten Son, His best that He gave for us. Exodus 34, 26. You know, we could go on and on about this, but I'm just going to do a number of scriptures just to show you that this is a, a matter that is present throughout the scriptures. Exodus 34:26. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring up bring to the house of the Lord your God. One more, just do one more. Maybe I'll leave one scripture from the from Mr. Um, League over here. Deuteronomy 15, 19 to 21. Seeing the principle of first fruits. Deuteronomy 15, 19 through 21. All of the firstborn males that come from your herd... And from your flock you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd or shear the firstborn of your flock. 
You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year in the place which the Lord chooses. But if there is any defect in it, or if it be lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So God commanded Israel to give their first fruits to him, and they were to be of the best available, not of the injured or the sick or the blemished. He was teaching Israel, and he's teaching us as we learn from this, to learn from the law he gave, the principle of first fruits. God gives this law because it is the way he is. It is his own character that he's showing Israel to get them to act out. So let's look a little bit further then. We've read about the Old Testament law, but we can see this carried out in the New Testament as well. Revelation 14, verses 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 14 and verses 4 and 5. Once again, we're touching on a lot of scriptures regarding first fruits, but just in the, we're looking at it from the aspect of how God teaches us the principle of first fruits. The church of God is God's first fruits. These are the ones who are not defiled by women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. James 1.18. James chapter 1 and verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought us forth by the word of truth. That means God's children in this age are sanctified, set apart. God knows that we are in a world that's dominated by the kingdom of Satan. This is Satan's world. He rules it. It's filled with his profane mountain. But we are sanctified by God's truth, set apart and living here. And, of course, we are to keep ourselves holy and sanctified. A major theme of the the day of Pentecost is God's people made holy. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. Here we read about another first fruit. Speaking of the resurrection, where we are changed to immortality, Christ also was resurrected. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one is in, in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So we see that our Lord Jesus Christ is the first of the first fruits. He has already done it. He has made the way, shown us how to get there, shown us the way, and we will follow after him. 
God gave his own son to be the first fruits for us. He was without sin, without perfect, without blemish, nothing wrong with him whatsoever. Um, certainly not spiritually, as far as we know physically as well. Without blemish in, in, his, in any way, his very own son, it is in the nature of the father to do that. So we've seen then the principle of first fruits established. This is the nature of God the Father to do this. And so he wants to build this nature in us. The second point here, I want to touch on this just briefly, is the wave sheaf offering. It was already covered once before, but just to mention this here, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 10 and 11. Leviticus chapter 23 and verses 10 and 11. He said, Speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. John twenty seventeen, John chapter 20 and verse 17. When Christ had been resurrected, he was seen by Mary, verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. So he was not yet ascended. This is the equivalent of the wave sheaf offering. We heard about this yesterday. And Jesus told Mary not to touch him. Then over in chapter 28 and verse 9 of um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 9. Then a little while later, they saw Jesus again, verse 9, and they went to tell his disciples, and behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came, and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. When this was all the time of the wave sheaf offering in the temple, which pictured from ancient times the acceptance of Jesus Christ, his acceptable, he was fully acceptable to the Father. Jesus was the first of the first fruits, and the Father is giving the first fruits, the church, to Christ as his bride. It's part of the nature and character of the Father to give his best because he is a God devoted to quality. You know, if you want to see quality, sometimes just pause and look at the nature around here. We like to, in the evening, sit out on the back of our porch and you have a back porch, and there's some trees around there. A number of you have been over to the house to see that. And my wife has a bird feeder out there, and they, we have the most beautiful birds here. They, 
come up and they eat on this feeder and uh, we have house finches and, and cardinals and everything. And you see these creatures and you what a beautiful creature that is. Absolutely perfect in every way. And when you realize that God's creation, is, they're just things that you see perfection everywhere. Even the trees, the leaves, the of all of the living things that are around our house, when you look at them and look at them from the point of view of how beautiful they are and that they are created things, you can sort of get an idea of the mind of God. He likes things that are beautiful. He likes things that are perfect. He gives us his best. Our whole world is filled with beautiful things, just like the flowers that are before us here today filled with beautiful things if we'll only open our eyes to see what he does for us. Third point, third point, God doesn't confuse action with results, and neither should we. A long time ago, um, back in my business years, many years ago, I guess this was probably even before, this was before we were married, I think, I had a, a boss that I worked for, and one of the things he said, Wakefield, never confuse action with results. He wanted me to get out there and do business, and just taking action was one thing, but getting the clients, getting the business, and closing the transactions, well, that was something else. So he never wanted me to confuse action with results, and I always remembered that. And, you know, that's something that we should remember as well. Jeremiah 17.10. Jeremiah 17.10. God likes to see the results. He wants to see us do something. He wants to see the fruits. The fruits. Jeremiah 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Does it say according to the efforts of his doings? Does it say how much he really intended to do? It says the fruits of his doings, the fruit of his doings. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 and 5 through 8. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears fruit, bears not fruit, rather, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same, brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Christ does the works. Christ does the works. Certainly, we remember that because we see his hand in everything that we do here in the church. Verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall seek, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Bearing much fruit. You know, just being a, a really, really pretty branch and everything, oh, that's a long, beautiful vine branch that's growing off of that 
grapevine there. But what happens if that grapevine never produces any grapes? Snip, snip. Off it comes. The vine dresser will come by. He'll snip it off and throw that away. We've had a, a one time we had, my wife loved roses, and some of you may know, and one time we had a rose bush, and the thing just didn't do much, just didn't do much. I don't know, maybe it was sick or something, or it had some problems with his roots, and, well, what's the use of having a rose bush if it's not producing? Away it goes, away she goes. We got rid of that rose bush and put one in its place that uh, did better. The fruit of our doings, the fruit of our doings. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Well, what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered them, I go, sir. He didn't go. He didn't go. Whither of them the two did the will of his father? And they said unto him, The first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. What did you actually accomplish? Luke 21, 2 through 4. Luke chapter 21, verses 2 through 4. Getting in verse one, and he looked up and saw the rich man casting, uh, the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw also a certain poor widow casting into the two mites, and he said, "Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow is cast in more than they all, for all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her penury, her poverty, has cast in all the living that she had." She loved much. She loved much. And she did more than the rest because she did that with all that she had. One of my stories that I've told over the, over the years to particularly kind of targeting the, the deacons and the, you know, and the leading men in the congregation. And a lot of times when when we're out in our congregations and we are working and we have responsibilities, we could start feeling pretty important as we go around. But I always cautioned uh, the men about that and said, you know, there's a little old lady in every congregation, or maybe several. You know who they are. And they don't have a lot of responsibilities, it seems, or they're not, um, you know, walking around doing things in front of the congregation. But you know what they do? They're constantly serving. They're constantly helping. When somebody needs something, they try to provide it. They are constantly praying. If someone is um, if someone is discouraged or down on a problem, they talk with them. They're encouraging constantly. They're 
always quietly helping others in the congregation out of love and goodwill towards others. So I tell the men, you know, you should be really, really nice to those little old ladies. You know why? You're probably going to be working for them for the next thousand years because they're developing this character of giving their best to God, of giving, of loving, and of serving. The widow's might. We have a little thing about that around the office, looking over there at our procurement man. He talks about that a lot. I've got on my desk, some of you that have been in my office have seen right up front, right up front, there's a pair of vice grip pliers, and in it is a nickel locked in. And anytime somebody comes in looking for, you know, they need to spend money, I hold that up and say, I squeeze every nickel around here. Well, for us, that we call it the widow's might, dealing with the widow's might as well as we can, stretching it and making it do as much as we can, bearing fruit with every bit of it as much as we possibly can. You probably know, I'll just mention again, in the New Testament, there are three words for love. We say love, and it means several different things, but the Greeks had specific words for it. One was agape, that is God's quality of love. It means outgoing love and concern, the one that is focused on other people. Um, we also have filial love, philios, and um, that is the love that we feel uh, towards others. We call philiadelphia, the brotherly love. That word is often found as the love and affection among the brethren. But generally speaking, filial love is love that you feel. It can even be compared to something that you love to eat. It's more focused on oneself, something that you feel. And the third is eros, which, of course, is physical love. Agape, agape, God's quality of love is expressed in what we do. It's expressed in what we do. You know, the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he was just filled with warm, fuzzy feelings. Doesn't say that, does it? For God so loved the world that he did something. How much did God love the world? He gave the best that he had, his only begotten son. It describes the love. How are we going to describe this love that God had? It describes it in terms of what he did. How about us? This is the love of God that we just feel all warm and glowing inside. Nope, doesn't say that either. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that we do something. We, this kind of love, the word here is agape, is expressed largely in what we do. It may arise from deep feelings, but this kind of love is generally expressed scripturally in what we do. Romans 13, 10. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Love not only does good, love does not harm either. Love does not do harm either. Covers both sides of the question. Verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. 
Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. Looking for results, looking for results. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that for you? Even sinners live uh, lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. For your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and to evil. Give to others for benefit. Did you ever buy, a, maybe you buy about a gift. You're going to give to someone or going to give to a, one of your children or something. I really have looked for a long time and I finally found the perfect gift. This is really great. And I, I just can't wait to give it. I just can't wait to give this gift. You almost want to give it early. Maybe something coming up for the feast or for an anniversary. And you just can't wait to give this person this really nice special gift. You know why? You want them to have it. It's something you want them to have. You're not going to get any benefit from that. Maybe a, a nice hug, or, you know, or something like that, or gratitude from someone. But it's just something you wanted someone else to have. But that's what it's talking about here. You don't necessarily give in order to get. We give so that others can have, to benefit others. That's love, outgoing concern, outgoing concern for others, for other people's benefit, not for our own. Our Father in heaven is that way, and that's the way he wants us to be as well. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. God doesn't confuse action with results. Here it is. He practically says that here. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you just hear and say, yeah, I got it. I understand. I understand what God's telling me here. But then you don't do it. You're deceiving yourself. It requires that you act on what you know. God wants to see results come from that. James 2, 17 through 20. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. You know, you can believe something all day long, but unless you act on it, it doesn't do very well. Back in the years when I lived out in South Florida, you know, we would have a maybe from time to time hurricane warnings coming in. Do you believe this hurricane is coming Coming through West Palm Beach? Yes, I believe it's coming through. Are you leaving town? No, I'm not. Are you putting up your shutters? No, I'm not. But do you believe it's coming through? Yes, I do. Why don't you do something? <laughs> I'm deceived. <laughs> Once you know, you need to act on it. 
You need to act on it. If you believe that today is the day of Pentecost, you don't go to work today. If you believe that yesterday was the Sabbath, then you refrain from your labors on that day. If you believe that this is the church of God, then you come here and we grow in knowledge and understanding and in love and service. If you believe that the kingdom of God is coming and that all the things we're preaching are true, we support the work. We're doing something. We act on that belief. But what happens if you don't act on what you know? Yeah, I know the hurricane's coming through. I'm not going to do anything. In fact, I was thinking about mowing my yard. Yeah, he'll mow his yard. He'll be flying off, you know, somewhere across the Everglades if he doesn't watch out. You have to act on what you know. James chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Some things, if you don't have works, you'll be dead. You have to act on what you know. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Genuine, outgoing, agape love is active. It requires action. You know, the Bible says that I can have all faith, even though that I could remove mountains and have not love, it profits nothing. Faith without works is faith without love. It requires that we do something about it. Clearly God thinks that what we do, how we do it, And the fruits we bear are important. They demonstrate our obedience, our love, and our conversion. Our conversion. What's happening inside of us? Our first fruits are important. Action and the results and the fruits. Fourth point. Fourth point. So how do we put this principle of first fruits into action? How do we put it into action? You know, I was thinking about this. This is kind of a special day for me. I'll tell you why in a moment. A long time ago, I had been an elder, I don't know, maybe for a couple of years or something, and I was at the feast, and someone came up to me and said, Well, Mr. Wakefield, just what did you do? How did you get to be an elder? I was surprised at the question. I didn't, I mean, I never thought about that. I never tried to be an elder. I, it was never a goal that I was working towards. I, you know, I didn't know how to answer him, but I kind of passed the question off. He didn't seem to have a great attitude anyway. So <clears throat> I passed the question off, and I went back, and later on I was thinking about it. I was, I was wondering how, how all of, you know, exactly what happened in these things. You know, um, a lot of it, and I remember from my very early times in the church, this principle of first fruits. This was often preached in, in our area, and I think run in the church back in the, in the uh, mid-70s and early 80s when I came into the church, and it always made an impression on me. So I always thought, well, I will 
you know, I'll try to do my best. This is the church of God. I need to do my best that I can. But I'm afraid it hasn't always worked out so well. Um, uh, just to, to tell you something, I, I could still remember. I'd been in the church. This is probably the, the late 70s. I'd been in the church just a couple of years. And Randall Coburnot, our pastor, asked me to give the opening prayer. Mr. League knows it. Don't start laughing here. I'll never get through this story, all right? He knows what happened. Uh, now, this was a, the congregation is probably even a little bit larger than this one. This was in Deerfield Beach, Florida. And it was a theater-style place, but a much higher stage. You had to go around the side and walk up stairs to get to the stage. And I was really nervous about this. So, But I was going to lead the people of God, the church of God, in a prayer, opening his services. This was just, I was so excited, but so nervous and everything. So I found out what you do. You know, you, you don't memorize the prayer, but you have in mind basically what you're going to say. And then uh, during the last um, verse or the last hymn, you walk down, and then when you come up on the stage, and then just as the hymn finishes, you're standing couple of steps over from the man, and then when he does, he announces the prayer. You step up and give the prayer. Okay, I can do it. I can do that. So I'm sitting there. I'm looking at the hymn book, but I'm not, I'm not singing. I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to say? I'm afraid I'm going to get up there and go blank. Okay, so I'm th- I wasn't memorizing the prayer now, but I was thinking about what I was going to say when I got up there. So I looked, and I, uh-oh, this is, he's starting the fourth verse. So I... Got a, <clears throat> a walk down. So during the by the middle of the verse, I was going up the stairs and the last bar, right on time, standing right there. The man's leading. He's looking at me coming up like this. He finishes the hymn. He looks over at me and says to the congregation, "Now for the third hymn, please turn to." <laughs> It was an inauspicious beginning of service in God's church. <clears throat> but I just stood there. I, I didn't know what to do. I just <laughs> let him get all the way through the thing, and finally he sped it up, and I went up and gave my prayer and walked on back to my seat. I came back to church. The people were were nice to me. I mean, they kind of ignored it. Well, I decided after a little while more that I wanted to do some other service. I wanted to do some other kind of service, and I said, I don't want to, you know, get up in the podium or anything. I just want to do, I mean, what is the service that nobody wants to do? What does nobody want to do? In this congregation, that's what I'll do. And that, and that, that kind of, it was the coffee. Nobody wanted to do the coffee. They were always having trouble announcing, we need somebody else to do the coffee service. Well, they had this huge coffee pot. This perk was a big one. It was heavy when it was full, and it took a long time. I, I don't, it seems like it was a long time ago, maybe 30, 40, 40 minutes or so for that thing to fully perk because they drank a lot of coffee down there. <clears throat> 
So, uh, but you had to come really, really early to get in, and then you would only think it took a long time to perk, and then there wouldn't be much time to drink the coffee, and it was always a problem. So I decided I had an idea. I was going to make it better, and I would um, uh, perk the coffee at home. I lived an hour away. But I, I lived in, in a condominium in a, in a high-rise in West Palm Beach. I was going to perk this coffee. And I um, had all the stuff at home. I would fill it up and do it. And then so it wouldn't slosh and get my car all messy, I would put it in a big plastic garbage bag, tie it up good and tight. And I would carry this thing down the hall in my apartment, get in the elevator and go down, and people were looking at me, carrying this, go out to my car, wedge it in the back seat of my old Pontiac. Mine didn't have all those problems, by the way. Um, and, and carry it down there. And the hour later when I got there, it would still be fairly hot, and it would heat up again quickly. So the people got, when they arrived, they got to drink their coffee. And so I tried to do the best I could with the job that I had. And that was a, um, just doing the, doing the principle of first fruits. Um, and each duty that I had, I would always try to do the best I could. I would try to think of something to make it better and do the best I could with that. Sermonettes, I still remember my first sermonettes, my knees smiting together up there. I gave it on the, on the subject of why we don't keep Christmas. And I was still in the church after I gave it. That was good. So I got through, got through that. I used to fast before every sermonette I gave. I stopped doing that after some years, but I used to fast before every one that I, that I gave. But I always tried to do the best I could. After seven years in the church, I was made a deacon. And in Pentecost of 1988, 25 years ago today, I was made an elder and a minister in God's church. This is my 25th anniversary. So I'm very pleased to be able to stand up and tell you this little story, that uh, how all of this, uh, perhaps, I guess, how it all came about. But um, I think God would wants us to each do the best that we can with what we've got. Faithful in little, faithful in much. And each time he gives a little more. Was in headquarters, brought here two years ago, was director of business operations, and then ordained a pastor rank minister last year. I served several departments at headquarters. Sometimes somebody said, doesn't so-and-so work for you? I said, I serve that department, and that's the way I think about it, and always try to refer to it that way. I don't always feel like I do my best for in every situation. I often feel like, boy, I could have done that better. I wish I had thought of that earlier. I wish I had thought of something else after the fact. I'm always feeling that way. But even though I don't always do my best for our staff, I want to. I want to, and I strive to give them what they need in balance with other priorities of God's work. I want to give my best for God's work. And I hope all of you will give your best for God's service, whether it's serving one another helping in the work for your offerings, your first fruits, anything that you do, give your best. Give your best to God. It is his character that he's building in us. Our first fruits are very important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. Why we do it. Why we do it. 
You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Why return good for evil? That just seems counterintuitive. Here's the reason, verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not the publicans uh, do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans. So, verse 48, be you therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And the commentaries say that word perfect is perfect in the sense of completeness, complete in who you are and what you do. But the Father is changing us and transforming us to be like him. John 14 and verse 9. John chapter 14 and verse 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Christ is the image, the character of the Father. We are to be that way also. Hebrews 9, verse 14. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. Christ was the perfect unblemished first fruits. He had the character, the complete character of first fruits, just as our Father does. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve in the living God, making us acceptable Acceptable to the Father. Do you think that Christ ever gave a next-to-best effort to his disciples? Do you think he ever gave his second and third string lesson to anyone? Less than best lesson that he taught, there is none in the Bible. They're all complete, all perfect, all things that we need to know. Christ, did he, did he ever create anything that was second best? Look out there and see. His creation is marvelous, beautiful, and wonderful. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here we have this big lesson for us. He brings all of this together, Apostle Paul does, and tells us how we are to be. We make sacrifices. We make sacrifices. Chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Living sacrifices, acceptable, the real thing. What is your living sacrifice like? Is it blemished? Is it spot? Is it lame? What is your living sacrifice like? which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove 
what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Christ was offered as a perfect and blemished sacrifice. He is the first fruit of God. What sacrifices then do we offer? Well, we are to be living sacrifices acceptable to God. This refers to our service as Christians as well as our law-abiding lives. Our living sacrifices need to be first fruits also. Is a blemished, less-than-best service or a half-hearted effort going to be an acceptable sacrifice to God? Ask Cain. It's no wonder that the church of God in this age is a small flock. It is a little flock. Let's just look at some sacrifices that we do offer. What are some sacrifices that we do offer? Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 4, 9 through 12, and and 14. Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, make the comers unto perfect. For they would not have ceased to be offered, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made for sins every year, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Nine, then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second, by which we uh, will we, or by the which we will uh, be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering some the same sacrifices, which can never take sins away. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. It is that perfect offering made for us that sanctifies us, sets us apart, makes us holy, and acceptable to God. We are perfected by that one offering. So our sacrifices do not save us. We all know and understand that. Then what sacrifices do we make? Well, living sacrifices of ourselves, what we do, our service done in love. We have been cleansed by the perfect offering of Christ. So here's just some things, one or two things that the Bible mentions. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. First Peter Chapter 2 and verse 5. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Hebrews 13 15 through 17. Hebrews 13, 15 through 17. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. 
Sacrifice of praise to God. I like that. That's a pleasant sacrifice to give. We do that every Sabbath. It should be real praise from the heart. Sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks in his name. But do not forget, one, to do good, second, and to share, four, with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, even those who must give account. Let us do, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Philippians 2, 16 through 18. More sacrifices that we can do. <clears throat> Philippians 2, beginning in verse 16. Holding fast the word of God, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, your faith produces service and sacrifices. Your faith produces actions. That's what he's telling them. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice in me. Philippians 4, 15 through 18. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. More comments on sacrifices. Now you Philippians... All know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds in your account, or to your account. Indeed, I have all, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. Here it is, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. God speaks of the sacrifices made in the temple as an aroma, a sweet-smelling aroma. Our prayers can be that way. Well, the gifts were that way as well. Our personal sacrifices given in love are like sweet-smelling sacrifices to God. But God doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want our spotish, blemish sacrifice what might be um, some others, and, um, well, look at some here. I confess, I need to work on all of these too. So here are some other things that we can consider. How about our prayer and study? Prayers. When do you pray? Just before you go to bed and <clears throat> wake up again. Wake up, oh, i got to finish my five-minute prayer or my two-minute prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Is our prayer that we, the time we talk with our Father, is that some of our best time that we have available? The first fruits of our time. It needs a priority. It needs to be first, a priority in our lives. Service, the service that we do. Do we get both action and results? Good fruits do I fruits bear or service bear good fruits for those that we're there to help. Well, our money, our resources, tithing, 
Which check is it that you write God to send? Is it the first one or the last one? And if it's always the first check you write, you give him your first fruits, then you never say, oh, I don't have enough left over. If you make your tithe of the first fruits of your offerings. Hospitality. Hospitality. You know, we tend just to get together with our own buddies, our own close friends and everything. But do you invite diverse peoples over? People of different ages, people of different ethnic groups, people from different regions of the country. You, are you hospitable, but are you reaching out and drawing other people in and creating those good relationships? How the fruit of our lips, how about that? Let our conversations be positive and constructive, encouraging to other people. Put out the leavening of murmuring, you know. What happens when you, you know, we say something negative and we're murmuring or gossiping a little bit? The fruit of our lips to God, what is that like? Is that acceptable to him? Repentance, repentance, action and results. Sometimes, you know, we confuse remorse with repentance. Remorse is a feeling. You know, you can sit there in your chair and say, oh, I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm so sorry for what I did. But unless you change what you're doing, you change your future, you haven't really repented. You know, if a person says, oh, I'm so sorry, I take God's name in vain. I do that all the time. I just pops out and there it goes. I'm so sorry I do that. Well, that's remorse. That's good. But if you repent of it, it changes what you're going to say. You know, many of you are new people here, and you saw that God commands us to keep the Sabbath. We have the Ten Commandments, not nine suggestions, and one of them is about the Sabbath, to remember it, to keep it holy. So then you acted on it. You didn't just believe it. Yeah, I believe it. (laughs) I'm going to work tomorrow, but I sure do believe it's the Sabbath day. You know, on the Saturday, no, you acted on that belief. It changed what you do on Saturday, didn't it? You cease your work Friday evenings and you come and you worship together. Action and results. Fruits. Fruits of repentance. How about the truth and the work? What is of first importance to us? I'll tell you, personal offenses. That's important to me. I don't. The work, put that aside. If you offend me, buddy, watch out. You know, I put my personal offenses way above everything. Well, it shouldn't be that way. Speak as a fool. You would never do that. But sometimes people do that. They're offended about something, maybe legitimately. Maybe the person wasn't apologized to the way they should have been. But then that gets elevated. They put it above other things above God's truth, above God's work. How about doctrinal twigs? That's a big one these days. People are falling away over falling away. That's crazy. That's crazy. A particular interpretation of prophecy. And we have the truth of God here. The whole Bible, the whole Bible is here, filled with his truth. He has given us eyes and ears. We can see and hear and understand the precious truth of God, telling it to the world. That should be important. That's a first priority. That's something that we work and and elevate 
and make really important. Do we major in the minors or are our eyes fixed on those things that are of first importance? There's always an excuse for failure. Like in the parable of the pounds, you know, the guy said, oh, I knew you were a harsh man, so I buried it, you know. I didn't do anything with it. Took some action, got no results. What did the master say? Always an excuse for failure. But we have to keep repenting. We have to keep trying. We have to keep growing and changing. But this is a happy task, brethren, a happy task that God has given us. Repenting, growing, changing, having him transform us inwardly so that we're actually becoming like God the Father. In this case, with the first fruits, just having that as part of what we do. We give our best to God the Father. We give our best to each other because he's that way. We can't be complete unless we are also, unless we have that in part of our character. First things first, first fruits. God looks on the heart. God looks at our real motives to see whether we desire the substance of his nature, the way he really is. I see how my father is. I aspire to be that way. God, help me to be like you. I see that you give your first fruits. I see that you do your best. I see that you're complete. Help me to be that way, Father, to have the substance of your nature and not just the presentation of it, not just the form. God watches for our fruits. He watches to see what we do. What is your will? Never think about that. What is your will? Your will, a good brief definition of that, is your power to choose. Your power to choose. You know, if you go into the restaurant and the lady says, what would you like to drink? You could say, well, I'll have um, sweet tea, thank you. And you chose that. You had several choices. It was your power to choose that. It was your will to have sweet tea. I do that all the time. I do that everywhere here in Charlotte. That's really great. I like that. But what do you want? What is it that you really want? What is it that you choose when you have the power to do it, when it's within your power to do that? Romans 6, 17. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Obeyed from the heart. That means you wanted to. It was something that you desired to have. It was your choice to do that. Ephesians 6, 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. The will of God. 
what God chooses, his will, we do from the heart because it's what? Our choice. That's conversion, brother, and that's what we call conversion, doing the will of God from the heart. It means we want to do it. If you give a gift from the heart, it means that you really, really wanted somebody to have that gift. If you say something, a personal expression from the heart, it means you really, really felt it. It's part of you. It's your own expression when you do that. Our will becomes like God's will when it's, we do things from the heart. That's what he wants. Conversion. You're converted to the extent that what you want is what God wants. That's why he's changing us, because we're going to be in his kingdom forever. And he wants us to just do our own thing. But it's his thing, giving, loving, serving, creating. But he only does his best. He gives his best. That is his quality. We read in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, transforming us inwardly so that what is from our hearts is his will. And one of those things, of course, is uh, as we obey, of course, he transforms us. We get to be and do these things forever. It should be our own will to practice first fruits, just as it is God's will to practice first fruits. So it should be clear to us that God wants us to have our priorities straight, just as he has his priorities straight. It's a matter of choosing as he does. If we're not choosing as he does, then we are self-willed, not God-willed. God says that we are to choose to put him first as a matter of our own character. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. You probably know this one from heart. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. He is first, first and foremost in our lives. We love him with all our heart and all our soul, all our minds and all our strength. Luke 10:27 said just that. We demonstrate our love through our deep feelings and our obedience by our work and our priorities. Obedience. This means keeping his commandments and loving one another just as he said to. It means agreeing to choose as God does and asking him to transform us, to make us so that we do that, subordinating our wills to his. And as we do that, you know, our works, our actions change us. What you do changes you, transforms you. Each time you make that choice, the right choice, to obey God, then he transforms us and makes us so that his will becomes our will. That's what we want to be. Priorities, first things first. We give our first fruits to God, first fruits in service, tithe, love, that we um, our, um, for others, one another, of our prayer. All of these things are our firstlings. Our living sacrifices, we love one another as Christ loves us. Matthew 6, 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. 
But seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness of God, first priority, and his kingdom, and all these things shall be added to you. So God wants us to show our love for him by our priorities. He wants us to see, wants us to see, rather, what is of first importance to us. He wants to know that. And in our priorities, how important are prayer and study and serving his children? How important is his portion of the resources that he gives us to use? Is it the first or the second or the last? What portion do we give him? He gave his firstborn as firstfruits for us and will make us the firstfruits of many more. So it's of no surprise that he wants us to learn the principle of first fruits and to incorporate it into our character. He's working to do that because he is that way. God said, seek you first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added in due course. If we put these things first and pray to him always, then he will take care of the rest.